Welcome to the Financial Leverage Point, hosted by John Iannucci, founder and CEO of ILG Private Wealth. In this podcast, we dive deep into the world of financially successful families. We offer candid advice on how to navigate the maze of strategies and products designed to protect, grow, and transition your wealth to your family, friends, and the causes you care deeply about. Join John and his guest experts as they unveil the crucial elements of comprehensive tax, estate, business succession, and financial planning. Strategies designed to give you sleep through the night confidence while maintaining a steady flow of wealth for you and your heirs. Johnny Anucci, you're using words today like imaginary and inappropriate, which, well, they almost make you sound like an HR manager, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but this is right. your podcast, The Financial Leverage Point. Right, so exactly. Words, yeah, how do those words mesh with your investment and money focus? Because me, Patrice Sakora, I don't get this. Imaginary gains, inappropriate focus. Help me. What do you mean? So, Patrice, I, I regularly have these discussions with clients when reviewing a possible change to their investment strategy, particularly in non-qualified accounts. All right. Definition, non-qualified. Define it. So you'll recall that a a non-qualified account are investment accounts that are not tax qualified. And as a result, any gains realized on the sale of an investment aren't sheltered from taxation. All right. That makes sense. I mean, IRA, mm-hmm. 401k. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, that's that's spot on. So if you sell a stock or a bond that's owned by an IRA or 401k, then you know the gain on that sale is not immediately taxable. But the taxation of the gain is deferred until you actually receive a distribution from the IRA or 401k. But if you sell a stock or bond that's owned by a non-qualified account, the gain on that transaction, that sale is taxable in the year in which the sale is actually made. Okay. Then Mm -hmm. imaginary market gains. Right. So think about it this way. You know, when you own a stock and the value of the stock goes up, you perceive that you have a gain. You have a statement that says, wow, look how much more money you have now. Mm -hmm. And I hear people bragging all the time about their double digit gains (laughs) on a particular stock like Amazon or Apple. But in reality, that gain is only a paper gain or an imaginary gain until you sell that stock. Right. So if I bought Apple at 10, it's now worth $20 a share. I really don't have a, a $10 gain just yet. That's right. You, you certainly have a $10 per share gain if you sell the stock. But if you hold on to that stock and the market suddenly turns and the stock goes down to $5 per share, how much gain did you really have? You see, nothing, nothing. Right. Any gain on an investment is only what they refer to as a paper gain. It appears on your investment statement, but that paper gain is still subject to risk and you can lose it all on the turn of a dime if the stock market suddenly changes. Hence, imaginary gain unless you actually sell the stock and lock in that gain. Right on. Until you actually sell the stock, you can brag about the size of your investment portfolio, certainly, but at the end of the day, that gain in your investment account isn't actually realized. Got it. Got it. Oh, we could do a lot of bragging, though, if you wanted to. Right, exactly. Yes. <laughs> right. Now, if you sell the stock and the stock mm. is owned by a non-qualified account, you must pay taxes on that gain that you've been bragging about. That's right. So so here's where clear clients often have a misunderstanding. You know, they own a stock with a great gain, 
And after a complete discussion of their risk tolerance and the risk score of that particular stock, they quickly acknowledge that a particular stock oftentimes is too risky for their current needs and that a shift in the market could cause them to lose most of that gain and more. But they don't want to sell the stock and pay the tax attributable to the gain. <laughs> right. Okay, <laughs> right I, the I, dichotomy, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. But mm-hmm. as a tax attorney and an investment advisor, mm-hmm. well, aren't you supposed to mitigate income taxes? Yes, of course. But there are times when I like to use the phrase, we shouldn't let the tax tail wag the dog. (laughs) We always want to mitigate, if not eliminate, all unnecessary taxes, but not at the expense of exposing investments or other valuable assets to a major reduction in value. Let me give you an example. This is the best way to think about this. Suppose you purchased Apple stock at a price of $50 per share and you bought 1,000 shares. That would be an investment of $50,000. And if the price of that Apple stock doubled to $100 per share over the course of 18 months, you'd have Apple stock worth $100,000. In other words, you'd have that paper gain of $50,000. And we would say, yay. Exactly. Start bragging at the country club. (laughs) (laughs) And if you sold all of those holdings in Apple and you you were in the highest long-term capital gains tax bracket, you do a long-term capital gains tax calculated at 20% of your gain, that gain of $50,000 for a tax of $10,000. You would have lost $10,000 of the value of that account, 10000 of that $50,000 gain to capital gains tax, right? Ooh. But let's compare that to the loss you could suffer if the price of Apple stock fell by just 20% you'd have lost $20,000 to market volatility. Given how volatile the price of Apple stock is, it's quite possible that you could easily lose 25 or 30% to market volatility. So your losses could easily approach $20,000 or $30,000. So it should be fairly apparent that given the risk score associated with a stock like Apple, which actually has a risk score of 100, the highest risk score that you you can actually attain, And depending upon your circumstances, there are situations in which you would be much better served by locking down some of that gain and paying the capital gains tax. Okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I get that. I get that now. As you Mm -hmm. say, don't let Mm -hmm. the tax tail wag the dog. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. Right. So while we should always attempt and our, our office constantly works on mitigating and eliminating unnecessary taxes, We should never allow the taxes associated with a proposal to reduce the risk inherent to a particular investment be the deciding factor in a vacuum. You know, there are other tax strategies like tax loss harvesting that we might employ to reduce the initial tax burden associated with an important change in that investment strategy. And the big question, though, how do you suggest that your clients use this strategy in actively Mm -hmm. managing their investment portfolios? Right. You know, it's kind of like that sage advice that you hear when you tell your friends you're going to be gambling in Las Vegas, right? (laughs) If you're winning, you should work to gradually but continuously take your chips off the table, right? (laughs) Don't leave all of your gains subject to the whims of that table. And as you approach retirement or if you happen to already be retired, you should develop and implement a plan to systematically take the gain you've earned on investments, that don't match your reduced risk profile in retirement. Remember, because as you go and approach retirement and actually go into retirement, your risk score, your risk profile should be reduced. You should take less risk. 
So, you know, don't let that resulting tax burden be the determining factor. While you're implementing your plan to harvest the gains associated with certain stocks, you should also be coordinating a plan to mitigate the taxes on the sale of your high-flying investments with lost harvesting, tax loss harvesting, and other similar strategies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how about some other strategies you might be able to use? There are literally several dozen different strategies you might consider. For instance, you might spread the sale of a highly appreciated stock over two taxable years to prevent what we call income bunching, where you get bumped into a higher tax bracket, right? So you might do part of that sale in December of one year and part of the sale in the following January. And by spreading out that gain over two taxable years, two calendar years, you won't get bumped into a higher tax bracket with proper planning. There are also a number of strategies that make use of various charitable trusts, for instance, to avoid or eliminate a significant tax that's associated with the sale of a highly appreciated stock position. You essentially work to substitute the charity that you love and support for tax you would otherwise pay to the internal Mm -hmm. revenue service, right? The point is that holding on to highly appreciated stock position because you don't want to pay the tax associated with selling that stock could lead to disastrous results when you're approaching retirement or if you've already retired. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And Mm -hmm. this kind of tax management really would be vital to Mm -hmm. a successful family with a large portfolio. So, I mean, why are you worried about it? Because they should be receiving this advice from their current broker, right? Wrong. So that's where the the, the real issue comes. If you're using a large bank or broker dealer, be certain to read that fine print on your monthly or quarterly statements. You know, because it usually reads something like this. None of big broker or big broker trust company or the respective employees or affiliates provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your tax and legal advisor regarding your particular situation. You see, Patrice, while those banks and big brokers may talk a good game regarding the importance of tax planning, and if you look at their websites, it's plastered all over there. They're actually prohibited from providing a client with tax or legal advice. You've spoken about this before, and it it, right. it gets me every time because mm-hmm. you assume that right. your big name broker, dealer, whatever they are, they're, right. they're giving you correct advice. Well, they're giving you critical advice. That's right. And, and you know, I, I think when I was growing up, some teacher told me that you should never assume because it makes an ass out of you and me. <laughs> and and yes. that's precisely yes. right. They actually don't receive any of this critically important tax advice. And, and that's why we get folks calling us all the time. They feel like something's missing. They feel like they're not getting that planning just beyond buy this and sell that. Right. They're not getting critically important tax advice. Well, how is it that you do it? Well, we actually do it because one, we're an independent registered investment advisory firm. But more importantly, I'm a tax attorney with more than 40 years of private practice experience where I've provided important tax advice every single week in my career. In fact, I'm still an active member of the Pennsylvania Bar Association and the Florida Bar. So Part and parcel to working with ILG Private Wealth is getting that critically important tax advice on an ongoing basis. Tax advice is is kind of like something that you should not treat like a diet where you go on and off and on and off, right? Mm-hmm. No. Tax advice is something that you you create in the beginning. 
you implement, you monitor, you change, but it's an ongoing, consistent, constant process throughout your investment life. And where should you really get it, John? I mean, from your advisor, mm-hmm. from your CPA, mm-hmm. from right. where does it come from? You know, it, it's interesting, Patrice, because one of the things we found, one of the reasons we created you know, independent family office services at ILG Private Wealth is that we noticed our clients, our successful family clients, always had individual trusted advisors, let's call them. But none of those trusted advisors were actually coordinating their efforts with one another. They had their own private lanes where they did what they were supposed to do. The attorney looked at Mm -hmm. specifically estate planning documents. The CPA created tax returns. The the broker dealer had, had recommendations relative to investments, but none of them came together as a whole to provide the client with an integrated surface. And that's why we formed ILG Private Wealth the way that we did. We coordinated and integrated all of those critical services to provide all that essential advice on an ongoing basis. You know, we become our client's confidant. And if the client or we decide that we have to reach out to another trusted advisor, we actually coordinate that on behalf of our client. We make certain that that trusted advisor is getting the right information and providing us with the right advice that integrates with all of the other advice that client happens to be receiving from various sources. So you basically backstop your client. Every time. We are their trusted confidant, right? We help them manage not only their investments, not only their non-publicly traded investments, but also all of the services of all of those outside trusted advisors. We backstop them every step of the way. All right. Well, how can a listener interested in talking to you and benefiting from your tax strategies how can they read? Great. But, and you know, Patrice, as always, all they have to do is visit our website at wecanhelpyou.com and request a free no obligation appointment. I'd be personally happy to review their personal circumstances and let them know how we can help them and what kinds of tax strategies, estate planning strategies, retirement strategies they should be considering at that stage of their life. You know, Patrice, it's vitally important that our listeners remember that ILG Private Wealth is so much more than just wealth management. And listeners, you can find that out from the man himself simply by reaching (laughs) out and contacting him. Also, follow this podcast to know when John's next show is ready for you. Like and share with others. And as always, thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Financial Leverage Point. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. To contact John, check out the show notes where you'll find his contact information and useful resources from today's episode. Once again, thank you for listening. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of John Iannucci. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.